A veteran charity is hosting a new track series to reduce veteran suicide. The format is track cross, like a time trial or time attack, but with just one car running at a time. Drivers compete individually and as teams. The event is at Summit Point Raceway on October 22nd. Registration is on motorsportreg.com. Search for Top Dog Track Cross. Welcome into another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. And this week, joined by a special guest. It is the Series Development Director and the voice of the road to Indy, Rob Howden. Rob, thanks for coming on. My pleasure, guys. Trackside here at Portland. It's been a great day. So, Rob, let's start out in Indy Lights as Linus Lundquist has all but wrapped up the Series Championship. In fact, he could do it this weekend. Looking at his season, obviously it's been a dominant performance, but I think the real question mark is where does he land next year? There was a report on Racer that maybe Super Formula in Japan is a possibility if he can't land an IndyCar ride. What's the latest you're hearing on Lundquist for next year? You know, I, I really haven't had a chance to dig that deep. You know, I've heard potential thought about him being a third car at Dale Coyne with HMD Motorsport. That would be the logical choice, uh, obviously with the connection HMD is Indy Lights team. Other than the, I've really heard that much yet about Super Formula. I know, you know, he Linus wants to be here. He wants to be an Indy car driver, right? So I think he'll do anything he possibly can. He's going to have that scholarship if he ends up locking the championship. It's going to get him at least three races, including the 500. So there's going to be an opportunity here for sure. He comes with some cash. We'll see whether or not the the coin option is there for him. But I, I don't know much about the Super Formula idea yet. But I do know that I think he's probably going to be able to get the job done here this weekend. Rob, sticking with Indy Lights, Ernie Francis Jr., 10th in the points heading into the weekend. But you know, break down his season for us. Of course, everybody knows his story. But how has it gone? Has it uh, you know, exceeded expectations, below ex- expectations? What's kind of been the grade for Ernie Francis Jr.? You know, for me, with Force India and Ernie, I think it's been a, it's been a tough goal for him, right? He really has – in my mind, he had to come in here thinking about a two- or a three-year program. I know – he wants to get the job done as soon as he can, but he's a single-car team. There's all these tracks he's never you know, driven on before. He didn't come through the road to Indy. He didn't do USF 2000. He didn't do Indy Pro. So he's never really been on these IndyCar weekends. He doesn't know the tracks. Brand new to the Delara IL-15 this year as well, coming out of the Formula Regional Americas program, of course, Trans Am and SRX. So really an uphill slog for him all year long. So it's hard to say did he where is the expectation for i think he's done a great job he's, he's logged lots of track time which is key i want to see him back next year with the experience he could have had had he started in, let's say indy pro 2000 i think that's the biggest thing for him he was really behind the eight ball coming in so i think the expectation should have been pretty low and been focused really on track time for him rob what about maddie brabham i mean he's second in the in the standings probably too far off to win the championship we see him in an indy car you know maybe it was a bit of a, a surprise that he came back to indy lights but what do we expect out of maddie brabham for 2023 well let's just look at this year first i, I think that when it comes to expectations of course he came back trying to re- reestablish his name right uh we've seen him do so well you know he was a champion uh, coming up through the ranks he won the indy pro 2000 category back in 2013 moved to indy lights had an 8500 start. Uh, it's a good, great opportunity for him to come back and remind people how great of a driver he is. You know, he's older. He's in the upper upper part of his 20s. Uh, but I think what he's shown us here, especially in the, on the ovals at Iowa and then at Worldwide Technology Raceway, is he's a race winner. This guy deserves a shot to get back into IndyCar. Now, I don't know what, you know, there's only so many seats up for grabs. You know, we hear rumors that Benjamin Peterson 
is looking at IndyCar next year. We know Linus is looking at IndyCar. Uh, who else potentially could move up? Uh, I, if, you know, Matthew could, for all intents and purposes, come back to Indy Lights for another year. I don't know whether that's something he would entertain, but I would have to think that that Brabham is definitely going to be on at least a, you know, in the conversation of, of a, a number of these team owners, but it's just so hard right now. There's only limited seats that are going to be available. Rob, one of the changes coming for Indy Lights next year, the shift from Cooper tires to Firestone tires, is there going to be a major increase in off-season testing to help the teams get acclimated to a different uh, set of rubber for next year? I think there's a couple of cool things that come with the, the Firestone Association, you know, bringing, bringing the program back onto the Firestones. Number one, uh, they're definitely going to need seat time uh, or, or t- time to be on these tires, right? That's, that's the key right now is to be able to, and finding out when Firestone actually does have the tires available. I don't know that they're even quite available at this point as of yet. Once they do come out, you know, the time will be taken away before they start the season uh, in St. Petersburg. So really the bottom line is it could be some pretty intensive testing the couple months before uh, we jump into the 2023 season. The key, I think, is that everybody's going to need a lot of testing. You've got some new teams coming in, right? We have Cape Motorsports coming in with a two-car team. Legacy Autosport has announced that they'll be uh, coming in as well with at least a one-car team. It's a really good opportunity and a good time for these guys to kind of come in here because the new tire really levels the playing field. Everybody else has been able to dial these Delara IL-15s into the Cooper. Because remember, this car itself, which debuted back in 2015, has always been on Cooper tires for the last number of years. So uh, everybody would be working to kind of really find the setups, find the, the balance running the new rubber. So uh, I, I would expect to see some intensive testing in January, February, and, of course, uh, heading into that first week of March. Now, Rob, you, you mentioned – the new teams joining the series for next year. Is there any kind of look at what car count could be for next year? I know we're close to that 15 number. Could they essentially push 20 next year? Well, all I know for sure is that there's going to probably need to be some more seats to become available. (laughs) And that was, you know, that, that the cars are out there Uh, because in my talks with drivers in Indy pro 2000, there are a lot of drivers. It's kind of a bit of a surprise to me that really want to make the move up next year. You know, we're going to see a champion uh, make the move up from Indy Pro 2000. Louis Foster is going to lock that down here this weekend. He has a, an insurmountable lead, essentially, in Indy Pro to win the scholarship to move to Indy Lights. But, you know, I'm going through the paddock, and, you know, I've talked to Reese Gold and his, uh, his uh, driver coach, Oz Negri. Their focus is on moving up to Indy Lights next year. His teammate, Anama Med, wants to move up as well. Uh, Josh Green from Turn 3 Motorsport, his plan is to move up. So there's at least four drivers that want to move up. And I know that Nolan Siegel, I believe, is going to be testing an Indy Lights car uh, later this year. Of course, the news came out that uh, Jamie Chadwick, two-time uh, W Series champion, is going to test with Andretti uh, when the season's done. So there's, uh, there's a ton of interest in Indy, Indy Lights right now, and there, there literally may not be enough seats for all the interest. And this is not like IndyCar where you're kind of trying to get a seat and potentially get help. This is people coming in funded looking for seats. So uh, I, I would not be surprised to see anywhere between, you know, let's say 15 to 18. Let's not go as high as 20. But we may see 16, 17, or 18 cars on the Indy Lights grid in 2023. Rob, you mentioned uh, Foster from uh, lower down in the Indy Pro 2000. He's going to wrap up the championship. I think he raised Euro. So he's from England, right? So he raced in Euro Formula. And a guy that could move up potentially or probably move up next year with the scholarship. So, what do people need to know about the likely Indy Pro 2000 champion of this year? Well, what's kind of cool is we've seen you know, a number of drivers come through the road to Indy from overseas who have won championships, right? Kristen Rasmussen being one, Renus VK, obviously another. 
you look at Louis Foster, who is only 19 years of age. You look at him with the beard and everything, you think he's a lot older. He just turned 19 this year. Uh, got out of the carts and went into Janetta Jr., uh, was a top three guy in the championship there, then moved to the British F4 program, then to, uh, Euro Formula, then to British F3, rather, and then to Euro Formula Open. Every time he's been in the program, he's only been there for one year because he's, been, he's finished essentially in the top three in the championship. And I talked to his father, Nick, earlier today, and he said, you know, we got into the top three our first year. We could have come, came back, but the concept was let's just keep progressing. Uh, and he's done that. He's, he's, you know, he's been a race winner at everything he's done. He's been in the championship hunt. This year, midseason, as soon as he got a feel for the Cooper tires and how to really maximize them in qualifying, he's been able to step up and go on a streak. And, you know, I was talking to Steve Wittick uh, from Trackside Online earlier today. The, one of the really cool notes that will be on his resume from this year, before he came in here, he'd never driven on a street circuit before. St. Petersburg was his first ever street circuit. You go further into the season, and he won at Toronto. He won this year on all three different styles of racetrack. He won at the Oval at Indianapolis Raceway Park. At the Carbonite Classic, he won the Freedom 90. So he's an oval winner. Obviously won numerous races on natural terrain road courses and swept the weekend at Toronto on the street circuit. So here's a driver who can uh, you know, he can win races on any kind of racetrack that's that, that, uh, thrown at him. So this he's a really well-rounded driver. He's a great guy under the tent. He loves him. And uh, he's going to have a future, definitely a future in IndyCar if he gets uh, the opportunity to move past Indy Lakes. Rob, someone else that you mentioned, Jamie Chadwick, who has dominated the W Series since its inception a couple of years ago. She's getting a test with Andretti Autosport for Indy Lights. What's your sense on her likelihood of running the season next year in Lights? Well, I think, you know, you look at it, the concept would have been, you know, after she won the first year there to be able to move. I think it was $500,000, I think, was the scholarship to be able to move. And, and her move would be into the F4, F3 program, right, FIA F3. But she hasn't been able to get with a top team. Now, let's, you know, the, the W Series program has, uh, you know, it, it's a big spectrum of experience. So when you look at an 18-card grid, you get some a bunch of drivers coming just out of karting into what is essentially a regional F3 program. But at the very pointy end, you've got some really talented drivers with lots of experience. So the, the, the depth's not that huge in W Series in terms of experience because the program is designed to bring these young ladies off to speed and give them a chance to go, you know, wheel to wheel in front of with the exposure that they need. So for Jamie, having won it two years in a row, she's on route to win it again. Just to be able to be with the right team in F3, I think is really hard for her to be able to find the money. Number one, it's $1.5 million. She's only getting $500,000 for winning over here, about 1 million to 1.1. Maybe Andretti can help out a bit with some sponsorship. I really believe that this is probably her best opportunity to take that next step in her career if she wants it to be open wheel, you know, she could probably move to sports cars, but if, if an open wheel career is something that she's looking for and she's shown her prowess, she's shown her, shown her speed in the W series. Uh, I think this would be a good opportunity for her to see what she's got. If she's able to come into any lights with enough budget for a two year program. Cause she doesn't know any of the tracks over here. Like I said before about some of these drivers, they don't know Ernie France, the same thing. She's never had a chance to drive any of the racetracks. She's never been part of an IndyCar weekend. Uh, I think she, if she gives herself two or three years that they have the budget, and I think that if Andretti wants to invest in her, I think there's a lot of marketability, and she obviously has some talent there as well. Someone who we know will be with Andretti Autosport next year, Hunter McElray, who was announced today, uh, Thursday, to return to the team next year. Is it safe to say he's an early title favorite for next year in lights? Well, yeah, you have to, because if you look at his uh, body of work throughout the road, Andy coming into USF 2000, 
immediately a championship contender out of the gate, moved into Indy Pro 2000, and by the end of his time there was winning races as he did in USF 2000. He's shown his outright speed, right? I think if you look at how much he's developed from the start of the year to the end of the year, yeah, he almost won the first race at St. Petersburg, but you know, wasn't able to get that job done there. But the, kept getting quicker, kept getting more comfortable. Now he's punching to the very top of the weight class and going head-to-head for race wins, and obviously has a couple of victories already. Uh, he's, num- he's the number one contender coming back. He and I would think Stingray Rob if he comes back again. Stingray hasn't got that win yet, but as we've seen his, throughout his road to Indy career, you give him a little more time in that program, in that seat. You know, he obviously started with the Hunkos Racing last year, this year with Andretti. You give him one more year with Andretti and Indy Lights, and I think Hunter McElroy and Stingray Rob are going to go toe-to-toe for the championship next year. Rob, looking at USF 2000, and we'll crown a champion this weekend in Portland as well. Miles Rowe uh, in first right now. Michael D'Andolo, D'Orlando and Jace Denmark trying to track him down. But, man, what a story it would be if Miles can wrap this championship up. Well, you know, we talked about Indy Pro. We talked about Indy Lights and those championships kind of being locked there with Louis Foster and Linus Lundquist. This is by far the best championship we have other than IndyCar, which is fantastic as well. You're right. We have three drivers battling it out. Two from one team, Paps Racing, Miles Rowe and Jace Denmark, both those drivers running for Augie Paps' team. Cape Motorsports, which will make the move from USF 2000 to Indy Lights next year, their final season here, the multi-time you know, driver champions. They've got Michael D. Orlando lined up to battle. Uh, for Miles Rowe, I think, again, it would be a huge story, honestly, coming in with IndyCar's you know, uh, drive for uh, diversity and change and equality, and he was able to go you know, last year with Force Indy. It was a single-car team for him last year, very much like Ernie Francis this year, no extra data, no teammate, just kind of you're out there on your own trying to get the job done. He had the experience, moved to Paps Racing, which is a fantastic USF 2000 operation, and really mid-season kind of found his way, found his groove, and was on the podium almost every weekend, multiple race winner, um, right now has the momentum, right? He comes in with a 23-point lead over D'Orlando, 25 points uh, over Chase Denmark. So really his championship to lose to a certain extent, uh, but I just don't see it. I think the maturity, uh, the change I've seen of Miles from the start of last season, all that pressure coming in, being part of the fourth Indy program with, you know, the under, essentially under a microscope the entire year, and to come into Paps where he's kind of been able to kind of blossom uh, within who he is as a race car driver and as a, you know, as a young man. Uh, I think he's going to approach this perfectly. He's got enough of a lead that he can manage race number one and manage race number two. He really can just put the car wherever he wants to to gain the, the points he needs. The pressure's on everybody else behind him right now. The Orlando and Denmark have to step up. Rob, one of the drivers uh, up there in the championship but not contending for the title, a rookie, though, Jagger Jones, grandson of Parnelli Jones, He's had a really solid rookie season in USF 2000. Is he a candidate also to move up into Indy Pro 2000 next year? I would say 100%. And I say that, you know, because obviously you know, two years in USF 2000 is kind of the status quo. We've seen a number of drivers win the championship and move up, whether it's Oliver Askew or a driver like Kyle Kirkwood or Braden Eves, you know, making the move up to Indy Pro 2000 after just one year in USF. But Jagger, has, uh, he's a guy with a lot of experience. He's, you know, he's, he's older. He's not 16, 17 years of age. He's got a lot of stock car experience. He's a mature young man. And I think what we saw this year is he was easily the, the, the best of the rookie class. Really, this season's been all about the second-year drivers, the sophomore drivers. We only have two drivers who are rookies in the top 10 in USF 2,000 points. But Jagger's been the guy that's been there, right? He won at Barber Motorsports Park. He's been in the fights uh, all season long. Would he move to Indy Pro? Yeah, I've actually heard... 
people think that maybe he'd be looking at Indy Lights, which I thought thought it was kind of weird. It'd be good to see him in Indy Pro for one more year, but we've seen drivers jump from USF 2000 to Indy Lights before, like an R.C. Enerson who would go on to win in his rookie season. So there's a possibility that Lights could be where he wants to be, but Indy Pro, obviously, if I was his manager, would be the first place. But, you know, in the end, it always comes down to funding, right? If you, if you have the backing and the investors and the sponsors to be able to move up the Indy Lights, which provides a little bit better in terms of deliverables and exposure, that could be where we see him. Otherwise, I think Indy Pro 2000 would be a definite place for Jagger. Rob, wanted to ask you about year one of USF Juniors, and they'll crown a champion over three races in the middle of this month at Coda in Texas. How has the season gone for year one of USF Juniors, and are there some names we need to be familiar with as they progress through the road to Indy? Indeed. I'll tell you, personally, I'm absolutely thrilled with the way USF Juniors was gone. You know, one of the things that we tried to do with the program was provide drivers at that level of competition with green flag laps. You know, there's the F4 series, which we're trying to kind of battle with a little bit, or at least provide another option for young drivers, struggles a lot of the time with green flag laps. Um, they, they run under a lot of yellows. This year, actually, they've had a decent season. But, you know, we kind of took a lot of steps to make sure that we were going to have green flag laps. A lot of coaching with our drivers, very adamant that we were looking for respectful driving. And we've had a lot of races that have gone green to checker, which has been amazing. And when we do have yellow, one of the big things we've done, of course, with our association with IndyCar, is we have the AMR IndyCar safety team, as we do on race weekends with IndyCar. We bring three of the the, uh, AMR IndyCar safety crew with us to all of our races. One is in race control. Two uh, are split between the two track crews. And so they're kind of able to instruct uh, getting uh, wrecks cleaned up. And we don't. We don't sit uh, under yellow and drive around for a lot of laps. Our guys get this thing cleaned up quickly, and we go back to racing. So overall, race-wise, we've given these young drivers a ton of green flag racing, which is key. And then, of course, the racing itself has been amazing. We have so many great drivers in this program. We've, you know, we've been averaging anywhere from 15 to 18 drivers in the series. And I think, really, you look at some of the big dogs that have, that have kind of stepped to the forefront that we, we know we're going to see in USF 2000 next year. Matt Clark, the point leader coming in for D-Force Racing, he has a chance to win the championship when we go to Coda in a couple of weeks to, to cap things off. Uh, but Alessandro DeTulio, who is a, what an amazing story he is. He's a young kid from Florida, wasn't even going to go car racing. He was going to be doing some kart racing, more kart racing. He's a top kart racer in, in America, in the U.S. here. Uh, but he did our Road to Indy E-Series. Our iRacing program in the offseason was a late run to come in on our, on our Prospect Series and ended up sweeping the Prospect Series, won a bunch of races in our, against our RTI drivers as well, and that was really kind of set him up with the opportunity to jump into VRD's USF Juniors program, and he has won races. He's second place in points right now, so he has an opportunity to kind of win this championship as well and go to USF 2000. So, And again, he also made it as part of Jeremy Shaw's Team USA scholarship, but the, fin- the, the sixth finalist. So a big honor for him and a tremendous rookie year in cars for Alessandro DiTullio. And then finally, the two other drivers at BRD, Sam Corey and Nikita Johnson, were very impressive as well. Both those drivers scoring wins this year, and I expect to see both of them in USF 2000 next year. There's, there's just four right there, very talented drivers coming out of USF Juniors who have learned our program, right? the road to Indy culture, all our procedures. Uh, you know, They've run on a bunch of our racetracks. The minute they roll into USF 2000, it's going to be kind of old hat for them. They know the, they know the crew. They know the, the tech staff. They know everybody who's involved in the program. They know the culture. With, by which we do things here at the Road to Indy, and I think uh, I think they'll be trained and ready to go and potentially run for the championship next year. 
and USF Juniors will run with the rest of the Road to Indy in October at the Road to Indy Fall Combine. And they're getting a new chassis as well for USF Juniors, correct, Rob? Yeah, that's the big thing. We ran the Liege car this uh, first year, but a brand-new car. It's essentially uh, a USF 2000 car, but a, kind of a development-level car. Uh, the brakes are a bit different. The suspension's a bit different on the race car. The engine itself is restricted, but it's the same padded tub uh, as the USF 22. This is the JR 23. So the cool factor is, is that teams or families can come in and buy a race car, and then with a the conversion kit, they can turn the USF Junior's car into a USF 2000 car, which is the same chassis as the Indy Pro car as well. So kind of a building block for, for a family who can buy a car and essentially drive that car for the next you know three to six years, working their way up through the road to Indy. Uh, but we're excited. Those cars are, I believe, on the ocean right now, uh, coming over from Tatis, the Italian builder that, uh, that manufactures the race cars for us. So they're on their way here. We expect to see them early October. So the teams will go to work and have a couple of weeks to get those cars put together. And, yeah, as you said, be on track at Indianapolis for the fall combine. Rob, as always, thanks so much for coming on and giving us an update on what's going on behind the scenes and in the road to Indy leading up to the NTT IndyCar Series. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. As I said, I'm trackside here right now at Portland. We just wrapped up a test day here. Uh, all our racing is Friday and Saturday. We're actually not on track on Sunday. We'll have our champions crowned either tomorrow with Louis Foster uh, or, of course, for USF 2000, could go to the, the finale on Saturday. Two races tomorrow for each series, one race uh, to cap off the triple header on Saturday. And, of course, anybody who's not here trackside can watch everything on Road to Indy TV on the app on the YouTube channel or on either of the uh, actual series websites, usf2000.com or indypro2000.com. As always, thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob. My pleasure, guys. Rob Howden, the series development director and voice of the road to Indy. Always great to catch up with Rob. Love his energy. Rob, every time we have him on, he makes me feel good about the road to Indy. I mean, you get into the the season, and we we've been talking about it on the show, and via text, you know, twelve cars, and, and that's great for any lights. But you know what? Two thirds of them are are Andretti or um, HMD. What is it, HMD Motorsports? So, sounds like some a couple of new teams are coming. We had heard one that was is going to delay it a year, right? That are going to come in in twenty four. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it makes you feel good about USF 2000 and Indy Pro 2000. And even was was glad to get him uh, some comments from him on USF Juniors because haven't heard much about that through their inaugural season. And he talked about this, and we brought it up, Jamie Chadwick, the Andretti Indy Lights test. That will be at Sebring after the season finale. So that's the update there. And sounds like she could be a full-time participant quite possibly next year. And I think... That would be huge for attention for Indy Lights, not just in the U.S., but I think in Europe as well. Yeah, coming from the W Series that races, does it race in conjunction with some Formula One races? Yes. Okay, because I think it only does seven or six races. Inaugural season was six races, but I think it's more now. But, you know, it'd be great to see Chadwick over here. She has absolutely dominated the W Series. Uh, 24 years old, out of England, and sounds like she's going to win another championship, so three in four years. And so that would be an interesting storyline to watch. And interestingly, you know which team she runs for in the W Series? Oh, it's uh, for, oh, Jenner. Um, Yeah, Caitlyn Jenner. Yeah. 
Caitlyn Jenner's team, so Jenner, Jenner Racing. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't know. Would that be something that potentially Jenner would be interested in at least providing some support for Jamie Chadwick if she came over here? That is interesting. I know that Bruce Jenner was a like pit reporter for ABC back he was, in the day. Yeah, with back in the day, cart coverage, I think. So yeah, there. I mean, there are I obviously racing ties uh, there with Bruce slash now Caitlyn Jenner. He actually raced in the IMSA GT series. In the okay, 80s. that okay. I I knew he did some. You won of the racing. twelve hours of Sebring. In 1986. Wow. His co-driver was Scott Pruitt. Scott Pruitt was pretty good. Yeah, pretty decent. Um, but then did the ter- uh, celebrity race at Long Beach for several years. So, I mean, I think this is his first year, or her first year, with Jenner Racing in the W Series. I mean, could that be a, a, a tie and, and maybe support from, from Caitlyn Jenner going forward? That is, yeah, I knew there was some celebrity tie-in, but I couldn't remember who it was. Yeah, so there you go. That is that is interesting. Well, so we've covered Road to Indy. I think we've kind of locked everything down on that for this weekend. Other stories that we will get to this week on the show. Some more Silly Season updates this week in McLaren, of course, how could we forget? <laughs> and Portland uh, GP race preview. So I'd say let's start with the Silly Season stuff because... That's obviously top of mind. We were just talking about it on the road to Indy. So here's what we have. So the latest, and this from Marshall Pruitt, racer.com. Chip Ganassi wants to run four cars. Unsure what Jimmy Johnson's plans are for next year still. I don't think this is a surprise. It, it kind of comes down to, will Jimmy be back with the team? Full season, full season partial season. Just the Indy 500, you know, what What are his plans? He's still trying to lock that in. We shall see what happens there. I don't feel right now that it's trending in the right direction in terms of Jimmy Johnson being in the seat full-time. I mean, he had a comment, and I can't remember who it was to earlier this year, I don't know if it was a month or two ago, basically saying between, I think it was somebody gauging his interest with racing a cup race here, there, or an Xfinity race was basically between IndyCar and some of his sports car stuff or whatever he was doing. That he, he said something to the effect of that was already a lot of racing or way too much racing than what he thought he was going to do post-NASCAR career. So here we are, two races left in the season in 2022. We're into September. I... I just don't know if the desire is there for Jimmy Johnson to race at the back of road and street courses for another year. I could see him doing an oval-only program next year. I could see him only doing a May-only program. I think it just depends on what his desires are and obviously what sponsorship he can get. I mean, there's question marks with Carvana due to some financial and just a lot of issues with that company recently it's come out in the news over the last few months and that's another factor to to throw at it right and it's unfortunate because say what you want about jimmy johnson and lord knows i do carvana has been a tremendous asset to indycar over the last couple years i mean the activation that they have done in a sport that's starved for companies that will really invest in advertising, significant advertising 
in IndyCar. Carvana has done it. You know, they're they're voting online with their liveries, the 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 web series with Jimmy Johnson, the constant commercials and all that. I mean, that is activation at a premium in terms of other companies in IndyCar. And, and unfortunately, their company's struggles are probably going to at least take away some of that for 2023, if not all of it. But yeah, they've been a great partner for a couple of years, and it'd be unfortunate for IndyCar, not just Jimmy Johnson, but IndyCar as an entity, to lose Carvana. Yeah, and who could ever forget his egg cooker commercial? Yeah. Or the bedazzled jean jacket. Yes. I mean, it's, come on, man. I mean, you talk about showing personality. You know, Carvana was willing to invest money, not just in advertising, but advertising with a driver. And we don't see very much of that in IndyCar. No, we do not. I mentioned Linus Lundquist earlier that he could be up for a ride in the Japanese Super Formula Series for next year if no doors open in IndyCar. That's an option. Obviously, this ties in with Jimmy Johnson because if they don't use that fourth car, whether it's Jimmy or someone else, which I would be shocked because Mike Hole kind of went on record saying, look, you get extra data. They ran five at Indianapolis. Yeah which is the most they'd ever done there. And so there's a lot of advantages for that, obviously, in finding speed and having just more data to pull from. But, again, the best-case scenario for Linus Lundquist is HMD is able to get that third uh, HMD with coin, that is, that third engine lease, and then slot into that third car with HMD coin. That probably being a slim prospect, that really really makes his options pretty narrow. I guess the question I have, so Honda would apparently in this scenario would be paying for the Super Formula ride, but that would be through Honda Japan. Now, would his scholarship money, could he just apply that and run the Indy 500? Well, I I don't know. I I think that's just a possibility if he cannot land a full-time ride. I would imagine he's at least doing part-time next year. Linus Lundquist, but in the event that he cannot secure a full-time ride somewhere, he would spend the majority of the season with Super Formula and maybe race those, what, three races or whatever it is, or just the Indy 500 for Dale Coyne with that scholarship money. But here we are, we talk about, you know, paddock expansion, and we've maxed out at Honda. Honda's basically saying, we're not leasing out any more engines. We're at our max. So you have Dale Coyne, who's in position with financing and all that, and a driver, if we talk about Linus Lundquist, to make the jump to IndyCar next year. But with Malukas and Sato already in seats, Honda is unwilling to add another engine lease to the series. And so, you know, we've been talking about it, Kale. Eventually, IndyCar was going to hit a cap on growth because it only has two OEMs. Here we are. We're up against it. Well, and, and Marshall Pruitt mentioned in this week's Racer.com mailbag that he may, and that did not come true, not to say that he won't have an update, but he didn't at the time. He said he, he may have an update on a third OEM You know, by the time the mailbag came out. Uh, no update has been given yet. I'm sure there's obviously stuff going on behind the scenes as to why that's not been released. But like you said, you know, they've hit the cap. What I find interesting is... At what point will the team start to to cry foul and say, "Hey, we want to expand, but 
you know, Honda and Chevy aren't letting us. And what, at what point will the teams cry to the series about this? Because it doesn't seem like there's been a whole lot of talk about it, even though we've essentially hit that cap for right. next year already. Well, it you, you know, you can't really do anything because you can't force the hand of an OEM to take to, to lease out more engines when it's common knowledge that they lose money per engine lease. Yeah. And basically, Honda and Chevy have said, look, we're not investing any more money into engine leases, or at least Honda in particular. We're at our cap. So deal with it, basically. And, you know, in the end, you still cannot, cannot afford to piss off your OEMs. The last thing IndyCar needs is one of them to bail. Even if you add a third and one bails, you're back to two, right? So the teams can cry, the the series can cry, but in the end, this series lives and dies by Honda and Chevy in a lot of ways. And if they say they cannot financially support any more engine leases, then that's reality at this point. And I think... There'd be no better cap to the season, Caleb, than if we could get an official third OEM announcement at Portland or Laguna Seca. But knowing us, we're, we're ever the optimists, but also prepared to keep waiting. But the series needs to figure it out because it's done a great job in fostering growth on the grid but that growth cannot go any further without engine leases. And we've already seen it in May, right? I mean, it's capped at 36. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's That's been a hard cap for several years. Yeah. Now. So every year, you know, January, February, March, people are like, well, what's, you know, what's the car count going to be for any? It's going to be 36. The max is going to be 36 because Honda and Chevy are not willing to go over 18 each. And, you know that, that that's that's where we're at. What thirty six for Indy, and what are we looking at now? Maybe twenty eight full time for the series, fourteen each. Yeah, effectively, that, that seems like the max, and that seems more than that. They probably prefer to do thirteen. Yeah, uh, yeah, I would or imagine twelve each. And, and look, that's the thing. It's like you know, I'm sure Honda and Chevy have done everything they possibly can to stretch their resources to effectively back 14 each but at some point the oem's got to be like we we cannot stretch any further we, we cannot do this and that's kind of what the message is at least from honda and you can imagine it's it's similar with with the chevy side as you know we're done we're, we're maxed out guys if you want to add more cars you better add another manufacturer speaking of honda a honda driver set to return next year there is a, a bit of a debate if you will, if this driver would return, but Marshall Pruitt, Racer.com, reporting Devlin Francesco will be back in the number 29 Honda for 2023. Again, when this deal was announced, it was a two-year deal, so on that part, not surprising, but there was some speculation that you know his seat may not be a guarantee for next year. It's very tough to judge rookies, right? I mean, you yeah. know, he's been better than Kirkwood at this point. Uh, has shown, you know, his... 12th at Gateway was, you know, his best finish. And he was quick that whole weekend. Right. And, I mean, you know, it hasn't been terrible since Indy. I mean, only one finish in the last nine races worse than 18th. And then you know, a lot of people will be like, you know, whatever, big whoop, but he's a rookie, still learning. So 
I don't think DeFrancesco has done anything to warrant not giving him that second year, especially the fact that there aren't very many available proven drivers on the market at this point. You know, why not just fulfill that second year and see if he can make a, a second year jump and potentially have a long term future? All right, time for this week in McLaren. So a lot of news bits to get to here. Of course there is. First off, Nathan Brown of the Indy Star had a great sit-down with Alex Pillow, kind of talking about, look, things have changed over two years ago, just like you know, things change year to year all the time and his aspirations, and he expects to be in in IndyCar next year. He does not expect that F1 seat, Um, but it's a really good interview at IndyStar.com. You can check that out. Also, Racer.com reporting that uh, Pillow and Chip Ganassi Racing still in mediation, so they're trying that. They've gone through a round. I think a couple more rounds uh, will happen before they would truly go to court, so trying to work things out there. And then we get to the biggest news, I think, that caught us all a little off guard, and this was at Colton Herta, who has that testing deal with McLaren. Well, He's being eyed by another F1 team, Alpha Tauri, and the, under mm. the Red Bull umbrella, they're eyeing him because Pierre Gasly potentially could go to Alpine, assuming Oscar Piastri goes to McLaren. There's the McLaren tie-in there on the Formula One side. Uh, that up to the FIA, which I would think by the time we record next week, we'll have an answer on that. I'm surprised we don't already. Yes, I am as well. That could happen as soon as this weekend that Piastri to McLaren, or if he must uh, stay with Alpine and move up to their Formula One team, we'll have that answer. So how does it work? Well, Gasly would go to Alpine, and we had been told before, the rumor was that Ricardo Alpine, there's possibility there, but I guess some, some board members were a little questionable. You know, he just left the team a couple years ago, and why would we want him back, essentially? And then you have uh, Gasly and Ocon, who are said to not really get along, but they're both (laughs) French drivers, so it makes sense driving for the French team. And then also, even if Gasly doesn't leave, Yuki Tsunoda is a question mark. You would think, though, that Honda would want Honda people, as they're still involved in Formula One, um, ramping up, what is it, 2025 or 6? 26. 26. So Herda, obviously a Honda guy. Yuki Tsunoda, obviously a Honda guy as well. You know, could that be the lineup? I think I'd be very surprised, but these are all possibilities. It's interesting because the top teams in Formula One are set for next year. I mean, Red Bull's not changing. Mercedes isn't changing. Ferrari's not changing. I mean, McLaren, we have a good idea that it's Norris and Piastri, right? Yeah. Um, You look elsewhere, and those are where all the questions are. So, Haas, Williams... I mean, Alpha Romeo, Alpha Tauri, yep. um, you know, Alpine, obviously. So, Williams. So, those are the really the the big questions to answer at this point. Are there is there an opportunity? Is there a chance, Caleb, that Colton Herta is on that grid next year? I mean, everybody says, well, no, he doesn't have the 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 license points. Well, we've already heard that the FIA is kind of looking at and the FIA can waive that like they have they have the power to say let him in and me personally I wouldn't be surprised 
for Formula One to do that. You look at Liberty Media. They want a bigger impact in the United States. They're going three U.S. races next year. They're seeing the you know, viewership in America soar. It makes sense for Liberty Media and F1 to say, yeah, I don't care what the super license points are. Colton Herta is eligible to be in Formula One next year. Well, and considering the qualifications, I mean, it's absurd that Herta doesn't meet the standard. Right. And the only reason why is because Indy Lights, when he finished second Apollo Award, there are nine drivers at one of the races as opposed to ten. Right. Otherwise, I believe he'd have the points, right? That's yeah, and the I think they said back. Indy Lights scores as many points as like a F4 regional yes. series, something like that. Like it's something absurd. So I don't think there's anybody doubting the fact that Colton Herta has enough seat time in other disciplines and to the fact being that in Formula One. He's done a test for McLaren F1 and they came away very impressed. Yeah. I mean, his times were competitive, especially considering the time of year and the temps and, and everything. I mean, his times were very competitive with what happened for McLaren last year because, again, it was for McLaren's car from last year the tpc program testing a previous car right but all in all we know hurt is qualified i mean it's absurd to say that he's not i agree i think there's a chance and i'll, I'll get into what indycar deep throat sent us the other day so indycar deep throat saying pato rossi Plo set for mclaren next year felix headed to formula e as of now zach told him that if another indycar team is interested he can work out a deal for example, keeping him under McLaren contract while he does his own thing. Piastri set to join Lanote McLaren in 2023. Zach mentioned he would be open to keeping him around for other McLaren seats races. And then Daniel set for Alpine on a one-year deal. The team is offered for him. He has no choice or other options. One-year deal with less money compared to his last deals. I have an option for 2024 if he performs well next year. And Daniel hasn't made a decision yet since Williams and Haas are on that list. Uh, why does that matter? Well, it's confirmed that both Chip and Roger have reached out to Daniel to gauge his interest in IndyCar after he turned down Zach's offer two weeks ago. I don't feel like Daniel Ricardo goes to IndyCar unless he's exhausted all options in Formula One, and I still think he has some value in Formula One. But you know, we've also seen that Red Bull is interested potentially in Colton Herta. And, you know, initially somebody, people were like, well, it's already Verstappen and, and, and Checo, right? Well, Alpha Tauri has an open seat. So could Red Bull effectively hire Colton Herta to fill that second Alpha Tauri seat? Possibly. Well, and then update on Herta from IndyCar Deep Throat. Uh, says Colton's set to fly over to Alpha Tauri's headquarters in Italy after the race in Portland. Talks have prog- progressed. Sounds like Alpha Tauri have at least one open seat, possibly two for next year. Source believes he'll partner Gasly as Yuki will get demoted to a reserve driver role. Colton will only give up his IndyCar seat if he is guaranteed at least two years of F1 with the contract and a decent amount of money. Not interested in a one-year deal. And that's all she wrote kind of situation. Yeah, obviously you got to look out for your best interest there. I think this has momentum. I think it has more momentum than people are giving it credit for at this point. I think there are multiple entities in Formula One that are interested in Colton Herta. I think there is no doubt that the FIA would waive the super license points for Colton Herta to join the series, considering the impact that Formula One and the growth it's having in the States with three races next year in America. I feel like this is something that Right now, to me, has a better than 50-50% shot to happen, Colton. 
Caleb. <laughs> Colton, if you're listening too, I think you're gone. But I mean, that's that's me. I mean, maybe that's me, you know, maybe too much confidence in this thing, but I really think there's something here. I would say I'm at 51-49. Like, I'm, I'm seriously like... <laughs> Better than 50-50. Just, just slightly, I think there's more of a chance he's gone. And what's crazy about all of this is that this will mean Herta's gotten away from not one, but two uh, people with ties to Formula One. Obviously, McLaren, because he's a, has a testing deal with them. Yeah. And then Michael Andretti, who wants to have that Formula One team with Andretti Global in the coming years and waiting on approval, which... You know, could come what later this month or next month. I mean, we'd expect it this month from the FIA. Yeah, and that would be two people you got away from. But look, I mean, there's ties to Honda here. F1 once, not only once. I'd say they need an American driver at this point to maintain the momentum, to have a way to keep the U.S. fan base engaged, just beyond Drive to Survive, which I think Drive to Survive has essentially run its course, right? I mean, I know that it's coming back on Netflix again. Right. But it, it reached its crescendo covering last season, and rightfully so. I mean, it was a dramatic championship. But the way this year's gone and just the backlash has started against Drive to Survive, you know, even in the preseason this year among Formula One drivers, I think it served its purpose. And they're going to do one more season, we know of for now. And I think the next step, the next progression is for Liberty Media and Formula One to have an American driver who's not just, you know, running the back of the grid, but in a competitive seat that can score points. And I it sells itself a Colton Herta scripted series following his first year of Formula One on Netflix. Yeah, that's true. You know, that that's kind of the next sell and I I, I still am a fan of, of Drive to Survive, definitely. And you know, this this came up in the in the past week at home. Um, my son, who far from a racing fan, he'll sit and watch it for a hot minute, and that's about it. He keeps telling me I cannot get the Formula One song out of my head. <laughs> and who can right? But it's like that such simple things, like a catchy intro song, like we hear. I'm Formula One every race weekend, and I just got last year's Formula One video game, 2021. I always buy everything a year behind because I don't have to pay as much. But the in- to start the video game is the intro. I mean, you can hit X and go through it, but it's there. It's like those simple things that are such swings and misses for IndyCar. You know, when you go back the history, you know, in sports, you know, you 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 hear the NBA on NBC song and it's iconic, right? It just hits you, hits you, and you and you recognize it. You know, Fox NFL, F one. I mean, it's 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 the low hanging fruit that IndyCar can't even. Why not put together a, a, an intro to every race? You know, their intro right now, I think, stinks. The song is so unoriginal and it's more background music than anything, but. Just kind of want to point that out because my son, he's not an IndyCar fan or an IndyCar fan or an F1 fan. He says he can't get it out of his head. Today he sends me a picture of a case of Red Bull with Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez on it. Just an hour ago, sends it here to in me. the states. Yeah, wow. He's at Walmart with my wife, and it's a like a twelve pack of Red Bull with them on the side of it. That's more promotion than IndyCar. Yeah, gets it's for like anything. you know. And he's not even Outside a racing Jimmy. fan. It's like th- that's how you're catching the casual fans, right? 
the drive to survives the song that you annoyingly can't get out of your head you know going through the aisles and hey i recognize that guy it's those little things right that make all the difference absolutely well one other note on silly season felipe drigovic not that i thought he was going to be in any car next year but the brazilian uh, points leader in f2 eyeing f1 reserve role for 2023 says I think we're not looking very much into IndyCar. I think we're just trying to stay focused on F1. That's my dream, my goal. We're trying to get into that first of all. Obviously, IndyCar is a great category, but at the moment, I'm fully focused on F1. Again, Uh, that's fine. Yeah, it's fair enough. I get it. I mean, another driver that wants to exhaust all opportunities to get into Formula One before he entertains anything else. I respect it. I respect it as well. All right, time to preview the Portland GP coming up this weekend. We start with our three key stats, courtesy of Chad200 on Twitter. Castro Nevis, pole and 115 laps led in five starts, but just one top 10 finish. Simon Pagano, no top fives, no laps led in four career starts. Alexander Rossi, eighth, third, and second here at this track. Remember, IndyCar returned a couple years ago, and this will be, what, the fourth iteration for IndyCar since 2018 when they returned back to Portland. Was that Sato won that race, right? Is that right? 2018, Takuma Sato won. And then what it was... Uh, Last year was Polo. They didn't race there in 2020, remember? Yeah. Of, and then Dang I think it was Will Power 2019? Yes. Yeah. So that's uh, one of the notes. Also, something to keep in mind. This is from Trackside Online. Since 1998, 10 of the 13 IndyCar races of Portland have had a first lap caution. That's what you need to watch. In terms yes. of the championship race... The most important single turn between now and crowning the championship after Laguna Seca is turn one of Portland. And then Joseph Newgarden and Dalton Kellett will have six-place grid penalties uh, due to uh, some engine early engine change. So number two, early engine change for him. So that will be something to keep in mind that's pretty important to the championship. I get that this is a track where... You expect an early caution, and there could be chaos, but things usually settle settle out, out well, of that. But, it, again, something to keep in mind. True, but this you know, guarantees him starting at least with you know, rows in front, rows in back. I mean, if you're, you're qualifying in front as opposed to midfield, you have a much better chance of avoiding turn one chaos. So he's going to be in the thick of it if anything happens. Taking a look at the schedule for this weekend for IndyCar. Again, Peacock, IndyCar Live for International, Sirius XM, IndyCar Radio, Practice 1, 5.30 to 6.45 p.m. Eastern, Practice 2, noon to 1 Eastern on Saturday, and then qualifying set for 3.05 to 4.20 p.m. Eastern, and then final practice 7.15 to 7.45 p.m. Eastern. Then on Sunday, race day, the TV window on NBC and streaming on Peacock, IndyCar Radio, Sirius XM, IndyCar Live, 3 to 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, green flag approximately 3.30 Eastern in the afternoon. All right, time to make our picks. Who do you have for this weekend? Who do I have? Do I go with a championship contender or not? That is the question. I am going to go. I finished on the podium last year. Scott Dixon to win the race. 
I am uh, leaning towards Scott Dixon as well, but out of being different, I'll, I'll pick someone else. And I'm going to go with Will Power. Not a bad pick. Won it in 2019, like we said. Was on pole in 2018. And actually finished fourth way back in 2007. Champ car, the last time they were there. It's just hard to believe he's only won one race this year. Right? And I have a hard time right now picking Joseph Newgarden to win a sixth race of the year. Not saying it can't happen. Yeah, same. But Especially with the grid penalty. I mean, that, that doesn't help. Yeah, it, it's not, you know, grid penalties hit a little different in IndyCar than they do in Formula One. We saw it last weekend in Belgium where Max Verstappen had to start, what, 15th, 14th, something like that. And he, it was easy pickings to get to the front. Well, they just, like, let him by. It seemed like it, didn't it? I mean, but the car was so good, that's why. Oh, pretty much. That's how Red Bull rolls right now. Livery changes to keep in mind, and there's one in particular you'll have to keep an eye on. So Scott McLaughlin back in the Freightliner car looks really, really cool. And this is the one that's going to be confusing. Marcus Erickson and Scott Dixon. They look both, exactly alike. Both in PNC Bank cars. Obviously, Dixon the 8 car, or excuse me, Dixon the 9 car, Erickson the 8 car, but they look exactly the same. The, the key difference is that the rear wing and front wing in plate are blue with white. For Erickson, and then for Dixon, they are orange. <laughs> There's no telling those apart. Alex Blow in the green Ridgeline car. Also, to keep that in mind, Kyle Kirkwood in the Sexton Properties car. Graham Rahal, Quartz Engine Oil, a red car. And I think that... Oh, Devlin Francesco. This is cool. Jones Soda Company. Ah. Very cool-looking car. Christian Lungard in the MyJack car. And then Jimmy Johnson will have a different-looking Carvana livery. Kind of a darker blue with some green accents to it as well. So I just wish somebody would step up and be a title sponsor for this race. Make right? Me, make me feel a lot better about the future of the event. Yes. that, that It's so surprising, too. I yeah, mean, because getting into the Northwest, they were selling it as you know a big chance to tap into some new companies. We're seeing teams do it when they head to the Pacific Northwest. Man, it's, it's very shocking that... You know, you get major auto racing into the Northwest. Everybody was clamoring for it, and you can't find a company to be a title sponsor. Yeah, it's it's surprising, and I'd say also with college football kicking off, you know, in earnest this weekend here in the states, Oregon playing a road game Saturday night against Georgia. Yeah, that's a big so one. you don't have you don't really have the the excuse to say oh Portland market unless they're at the game, which that's a select few. Yeah, does Portland State have football? I don't think so. I don't believe they And do. nobody cares about Oregon State, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's mostly Oregon fans, well, especially in the Portland area as well. I mean, Oregon State, yes, they have plenty of alums, I'm sure, yeah. in Portland, but it is an Oregon um, Ducks Because Eugene state. is not very far, right? No, it's not. Okay. So something to keep in mind, and hopefully that will help with ticket sales, just not really having a conflict. Not that you would expect one, but there are games... You know, there's a game on Sunday night, for example, but that won't be a conflict. All right, if you agree or disagree with us, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for our email list so you never miss an episode or any special announcements. You can follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCarPodcast. Also, on Instagram, it's IndyCarPodcast as well. On Facebook, just search for us, New Track Record. 
You can find us our email address, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. You can also uh, follow us and uh, be a patron via Patreon, patreon.com slash newtrackrecord. We have four supporter tiers available for you, starting at as little as $1 a month, thanks to Xavier, Rob, and others who are patrons for us. And as always, you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, CastBox, Amazon Music, Podbean, whatever your favorite podcasting platform, you can follow us, as always, all for free. All right, Justin, mailbag time. A few things to get to here, but not a ton. It was a pretty quiet week, and it was good that we were able to chat with Rob Howden about all things on the road to Indy. But first off in the mailbag, as we had a, a few things here, in fact, some comments from last week talking about, you know, Gateway and, and what to make of things with Gateway. So we start off with that. It's from Tyler underscore Allen. The racing wasn't terrible. However, as we've seen in Iowa showed, you've got to turn ovals into a full street course festival. Yep. Pretty simple. Spend millions on country acts. That's the secret. Also said, crowd at Gateway was sad and agree you can't jack up ticket prices and expect the same crowd. Keep tickets affordable, sub $50 and kids in free, and make money off concessions. And IndyCar must be more involved in marketing, like you said, lack of which before this event. Kind of interesting that they jacked up prices considering you have to think they were making exponentially more money annually this year because of the cup race. Right. So you would think, if anything, the prices would go down. But, or at least stay the same. Yeah, but guess not. This from Daguerre. I'm so happy you continue to underestimate Marcus Erickson. It makes me even more certain he will win the championship with a, <laughs> a, a wink face emoji. You know, yeah, I, I've, I'm sure it feels like I'm an Erickson hater, but when you're looking up to Dixon Newgarden power, I find it hard to buy in to Marcus Erickson and winning this championship. But maybe he can prove us wrong like he did in May, huh? Some replies on the Racer article. Graham Rahal wants to bring an IndyCar race to Pittsburgh. It's part of his ever-expanding off-track activities. Now, Graham has a response to that. I'll get to that in a second. But N.K. Harden says, Graham Rahal is the best ambassador IndyCar could ever ask for. He's always pushing the sport to be more, and he goes on platforms into places that most people can't or don't. Keep it going, Graham. Hunter's Way 67 says, uh, Graham Rahal needs to take over marketing promotions for the series ASAP. He's done a great job in that respect, in the business aspect of things. Now, I told you and you were in agreement, I'm not getting any rise out of me talking about Pittsburgh until somebody with the city or a promoter or somebody not named Graham Rahal expresses interest in this thing. I think it's a great idea. It makes a lot of sense, but... I at least have not seen a single comment from a city official whatsoever that makes me think that the city is interested in something like this. Yeah, I, I haven't either. It, it seems more like, okay, it's a great idea, but what's behind it? And, and Graham said, he said, whoa, I don't want to promote it. I said, I think it's a heck of a spot to have a race as connections to a lot of consumer-facing brands already in the sport. Downtown Pitt would be tremendous. But again, yeah, it, I think we're putting the cart before the, the horse here. I think he's great to lead the charge, and 
he knows the people that need to meet with other people to make it happen. But yeah, it's not going to be promoted by Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, or Graham Ray or whatever. I, I just I don't know if that interest is is reciprocal at this point. Chris in the six. Is the McLaren Neom supposed to sound like a car blazing by Neom? <laughs> I thought that was funny. Uh, very creative stuff there. All right, you posted this in a few takers. So a couple days ago, NFL cut day for the National Football League. Get down to the 53-man roster max. If if that day was IndyCar cut day, who would be getting cut from their teams and why? Hunter's Way 67 said he just listed off several several guys. Kellett, Francesco, Harvey, Daly, Cashinevis, all for underperforming. And then Vicky Lynn, 26. This is funny. Anyone at Aero McLaren SP? Because that's just what they do. Too soon? Yeah. It, never too soon. Never too soon. And then who wins the championship? You posted this poll. 50% said New Garden. Bit surprised at that. 20% Dixon, 26 Power, 4% Erickson. FitJ1983 said Portland turn one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be the single greatest impact on who wins this championship over the final two weekends is that turn. And it's going to rely a lot, too, on qualifying. You do not want to be starting 18th, back in the pack, heading into turn one at Portland. You just don't. No, no, that's, that is a in fact, b- bad I almost, scenario. If I'm in the top four, I'm almost dropping back a little bit at the start. If I'm back there, like I'm not... If I'm 11th, I'm not dropping back to 27th or whatever. But, you know, if I'm 20th or worse, or even late teens, I may hang back a little bit and just pass eight or nine cars that are in the carnage in turn one. That wraps up the mailbag for this week. Time for news and notes and a few things to get to. First off, Pareto Autosport announced their sponsor for the Firestone GP at Laguna Seca next, uh, wow, not next month, but basically a weekend from now turn on green ev a green energy technology and power supply company subsidiary of bitnile holdings so bitnile another they're everywhere yeah they are so that will be the sponsor for simona di silvestro and proto autosport partnered with ed carpenter racing for the season finale would love to see them finish strong and then give them some positive momentum heading into the offseason building for next year so Andretti, the Andretti Autosport Twitter account teased this and then posted a video. So Sebastian Weldon, son of the late Dan Weldon, had his first open wheel test late last week in an F4 car. So that's really, wow. really cool. How old is he now? Does it say? It didn't say, but I'm guessing he's what, like 13, 14? Yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, ideally, you know, realistically, he's 13. I just looked it up. You know, I mean, even USF juniors, you're 16, 17, right? Yeah. So he's to be in an F4 car already at 13. A test. We'll see if he a test. True. I mean, he's still got, you know, a couple more years of karting, I would think. But yeah, that's that's pretty cool. And obviously a name to keep an eye on here in the next few years. A a given, right? Sebastian and also his younger brother, Oliver, as well. Both of them. Both of them. Can you imagine? I mean, I know it's a different breed, race car family, but could you imagine Susie Weldon, you know, losing your husband in the way that you did, and now your two boys are just race car addicts? I'm sure it's exciting, but also terrifying at the same time. I can't imagine. 
I think if you try to force someone away from it, sure. it just makes it worse. Just like the opposite. If you try to force yeah. somebody into it, right? Yeah. So, man, I just, you know, I would be so nervous. But I guess it goes with the territory, huh? Yeah, it, it does. Marshall Pruitt had this story about testing for IndyCar. There will be fewer uh, private tests, more group tests for 2023. But really the key takeaway from all of this, tucked in conveniently <laughs> toward the, back? the very end of the story so Miami Homestead Oval Road Course, known to be on IndyCar's radar during the most recent offseason, a possible site for spring training. Uh, Jay Fry says final destination could be a road course or an oval. He says we've run both before, so this is something we're exploring on what we could and where we could do that. So keep that in mind. Spring training, but also, look, it's a potential race site too, obviously. I wonder, I don't know the answer to this, how quick, you can change the configuration at Homestead between road course and oval, but would you entertain if you're IndyCar a three-day test where it's a Tuesday, everybody runs the oval, there's a day to switch everything over, over, you know, different setups if you have to change the same car, and then you run the road course, and that's your spring training, and you get both. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's what I would do if I'm IndyCar. I think I like the idea that there's more team tests. I think that's a lot better. And DJ Fry made the point we're not changing very much next year, so they don't need individual tests as much. So why not, if you have a track that can offer both, and I'm not sure exactly what the road course, have they, have, they, have they tested at the road course before? I believe Homestead? so. Okay, yeah. so it's not like uh, it's a missing runoff space or whatever they could do it. I, I would make it a two- or three-day event and do both configurations. I agree. I mean, right, why, well, it's going to happen. We've said it. <laughs> yeah. It's going to happen. I'm sure. That's, that's, that's exactly how it works. How it works. <laughs> A few other notes to get to. Marcus Ericsson, so after the season, will be racing in Sweden for the first time since his karting days. Sweden. And race against his brother, Hampus Ericsson, for the first time ever. Guest appearance in the Carrera Cup, October 1st at Mantorp Park. So that's pretty cool. He's getting an opportunity to race at home for the first time in a very, very long time. Very nice. And then shout out to Sage Karam, who had a top five in the Xfinity race last weekend. And I'm drawing a blank. Where where was where was that? Was that at Daytona? Xfinity was at Daytona last week, right? I believe so. Yeah. So their race actually happened. I know it was a wild ending and he kind of escaped a lot of chaos. Uh, and then the cup race was delayed and yeah. delayed and delayed. Man, there's so much rain. Daytona last weekend. I, I lost track of... I, I didn't even realize it was supposed to run Saturday night. And then it was delayed. It was supposed to start at, what, like 10 a.m. on yep. Sunday? And it was raining? Like, yeah, it seemed like a mess. So maybe Chase Elliott was on to something when he said, see you at Bristol. And there was <laughs> Daytona in between. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, good run for Sage Karam. Top five for him. First top five in Xfinity, and he's really putting together a nice little career over there. It, it's great to see. Great guy. We've had him on the podcast. Hopefully, it's something that continues to blossom and going into 2023. All right. Tweets of the week time, and just one tweet, but I thought it was great. So there's this trend that's happening actually today as we record on Thursday, September 1st, where it's just like one-word tweets. Uh-huh. So Alexander Rossi just tweeted the word stop. Stop. 
<laughs> that says it all, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> so I thought that was uh, fitting to be our tweet of the week. Okay, time for I th- our, I think our favorite segment. This week's random split era driver of the week. Justin, take it away. Yeah, well, we're going back to the deep, deep field of the 2005 champ car season, and we're going with Team Australia. Can you name the name two of the drivers that raced for Team Australia in 2005 champ car season, Caleb? I actually think I can. Okay. 2005. 2005, um, Team Australia. Will Power? Will Power is the obvious one. And then... Oh, man. Is it Tagliani? It is, absolutely. Alex Tagliani. In fact, Will Power only did two races that year for Team Australia. Alex Tagliani did all the races. But you know one guy who did one race was Charles Zwolzman Zwolzman Jr. Who? Charles Zwolzman Jr., born in the Netherlands, Competed for two years in Champ Car. In 05, he just raced a single race with Team Australia in Mexico City. The final race of the season finished 13th. He then raced the entire season for Conquest Racing in 2006. And actually finished 7th a couple times. Road America and Surfer's Paradise. Now, his lowest was a Houston and Cleveland 15th, but I think... They weren't had the, the, there weren't very many deep fields in 2006 in Champ Car. I want to say no, they were running about 17 cars. Yeah, most so of the time. Uh, he finished 13th that season in Champ Car standings in 2006. And I'm counting it up right now. How many rookies got at least one start in 2006 Champ Car season? A dozen. It's it's a dozen. It's twelve. Wow. <laughs> That's wild. And all of them at one time or another will be featured on the random splitter uh driver of the week. But anyway, getting back to Charles Wolfman Jr. Um he did go-karts, he committed in, in Formula Four, Formula Renault, Formula Three, and finished uh he raced two seasons in Formula Three before coming over to the States. He raced in the Atlantics in two thousand and five. Uh, let's see, he was the fastest qualifier at Long Beach, but failed expression, had to start last, and he ended up winning three races that season, clinching the championship over rivals Tonius Kazmetz, one of your faves. I remember him. Canadian, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, Estonian. Estonian. Yeah. Okay. And Catherine Legg, a familiar name. Uh, so he won the Atlantics and then made his champ car debut that same season in Mexico City for Team Australia. Competed in the 2006 season for the full season with My Jack Conquest Racing. Uh, did not return in 2007, has not competed in open wheels since. Drove in the Le Mans series in 2009. Also raced in the 24 Hours of Le Mans in 2009. And 2011, this is, this is where it gets interesting, Zwolzman Jr. was charged in the Netherlands with involvement in money laundering. No. According to the prosecutors, Zwolzman Jr. has financed his racing career with the proceeds of the criminal activities of his father. Wow. The prosecution has asked for a 240-hour community service sentence, a 15-month suspended prison sentence, and 20,000 euro fine. He denied all charges. He proceeded to fight these allegations, and after some major investors and sponsors were was acquitted, in 2013 and cleared of all charges in 2016 whether that was because of his criminal mastermind father or the fact that he realistically did not 
have any involvement in his dad's actions? Who knows? But that's where it got exciting. When money laundering enters the picture, <laughs> it gets spicy. And we all know money laundering's never been a factor in racing. <laughs> Not Ever. at all. But, uh, yeah, this week's random split era drive of the week, Mr. Charles Zwolsman Jr. raced for Team Australia for a single race in 2005, the entire season in Conquest Racing in 06, and that was the extent of his major open-wheel racing career. Caleb. All right, there we have it. And thanks to Rob Howden again for joining us this week and next week we'll have a recap of the grand prix of portland coming up uh this weekend again on sunday afternoon here in the states for justin kinney i am caleb hatch thanks for joining us on another edition of new track record podcast A veteran charity is hosting a new track series to reduce veteran suicide. The format is track cross, like a time trial or time attack, but with just one car running at a time. Drivers compete individually and as teams. The event is at Summit Point Raceway on October 22nd. Registration is on motorsportreg.com. Search for Top Dog Track Cross. Podcasts by Federated Media.